Let me read this. If you've got a Bible with you on your phones or anywhere. Matthew, um, Matthew, uh, where are we up to now? It's 26 and it's verse... I can't read with me glasses on without them. Oh dear. Right, verse 36. So we're looking at the Garden of Gethsemane, which is such a powerful and beautiful passage. I'm going to do some very practical teaching this morning. Here's the thing. We've got Truth Project on Saturdays, and we've got Connect Groups, which give us a chance to go deep. What we try and do on Sundays is go deep enough for those of you who've been walking with the Lord for 30 million years, and wide enough for those of you who just discovered the Lord. Or, you know, you've been away for some time. We've got to try and do both. It's a very hard balance. But what you notice is, when Jesus taught, he'd actually kept things very, very simple on the surface. But he, what he did often was he went straight into the heart. So often you get Christians saying, when are we, we going to go a little bit deeper into the, the deep knowledge of the technical knowledge of the Lord? I think, well, when you give all your possessions to the poor, you know, when you love your neighbour as yourself, you know, that's what the Lord did, wasn't it? You know, he, he, the rich young ruler. You know, oh, you've, I've seen you. I've kept all the commands, but you haven't done this one. You know, the woman at the well, I mean, he, what he did was he, he was so good at seeing the individual need. So what we try and do here on Sundays, our shop window is deep enough to build our knowledge, wide enough for those who are coming in for the first time, but all of us want to get to the heart matter. How do we live our lives effectively as a follower of Jesus Christ? If you've got our hearts right, everything else will flow. You can have all the knowledge under the sun, but if you're not, if you're not living your life right before the Lord, it's useless, isn't it? Useless information. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. How encouraging is that for us, that even the Lord could be grieved and distressed? It's encouraging. Then he began to say to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. I'll say it again. I know there are people here who suffer with anxiety and more and more people are suffering with depression. Well, you, you've, got, you've got a commander-in-chief who actually felt sorrow to the point of death. And came through. He can come through. Um, But he understands the depth of human emotion. It is shallow teaching to say Christians are full of joy all the time. (laughs) Jesus wasn't. (laughs) I think he was deeply upset sometimes. Um, Churches are not little house on the prairie. You know, we have good times, we have bad times. Life is up and down. We have one who understands. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watching me. And he went on a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Because he knows he's about to be nailed to a cross. In his heart, he wants to obey his Father, but he knows what he's going to be up against. It's a horror. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, so you men cannot keep watching me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What he's saying is, sometimes you have all the heart intention 
to get it right. But then we've got the flesh. Sometimes, like the more I go on with Jesus, the more I know when I'm in the flesh and when I'm in the spirit. Because when I'm in the flesh, I get this little voice in my head. I'm like, I'm like this. Get me own back. That's the flesh. But the spirit is, I oh, forgive. Be gracious, full of joy, full of peace. Even though it's hard. That's, that's the spirit. The flesh, oh, they're not like this and they're not doing it like that. And they shouldn't be like this. It's all judgmental. And the spirit is, oh, I need to look at my own life, my own doctrine. And before I start pointing a finger at other people, it's the flesh versus the spirit. That's just how it goes. He went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Wow. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then they came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up and let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. What you have there in that little sequence is an amazing, amazing confrontation between the Son of God and temptation. He knows he's going to go to the cross. And, and in his flesh, he wants to do whatever he can to get out of it. But in his spirit, he endures through. And he, imagine that all night, you know what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be whipped, flogged, beaten up, cut to pieces, rejected, betrayed. And all night, you get this feeling. You know, there's this song. Some people get chipped up about this song, but I happen to love it. He says, reckless love. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. And some would say, God's love isn't reckless. Well, just one little thought. Could Jesus have said no in the Garden of Gethsemane? No, I'm not going to do it. He had to be able to say no. Otherwise, he wasn't freely going. Had to be a free choice. Amazing. I get this sense that maybe the whole destiny of mankind was on a knife edge in Gethsemane. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. Like your salvation was on a knife edge in this sequence here. Because he, he had to be able to say no. But he said yes. Because he loves you. How amazing is that? Some brief practical points will be as brief as possible. First thing I want to say is that Jesus, and I've alluded to this already, but I want to, I want to nail this down. Jesus understands your humanity. I said it earlier, that, that Hebrews verse is Hebrews 4.15. He's tempted in every way, but he understands. Jesus cried in John 11.35. Matthew 26, he knew sorrow. He just read that. In John 4, he says he came to Jacob's well, and he was tired from the journey and sat down by the well. He knew, Jesus knew what it was to be fatigued and tired. How many of you here today feeling a little bit tired? I was feeling a little bit tired coming back from Plymouth last night and this morning I put acid jazz on in my car just for, the, just for the short drive from Stores Road to here. I'm like, I'm listening to Ocean's Eleven theme track music. I was going to listen to this one, Andy, when we got into the prayer room, getting a bit of energy in our bodies. I'm tired. But Jesus understands that because he got tired. He was tempted in every way. He got hungry. 
Mark 11. Said he was hungry. The next day when they left Bethany, Jesus was hungry. So, you know, when you're leaving here and you think, well, oh, looking forward to me, me Sunday lunch. Jesus looked forward to food because he got hungry. What I'm saying is, he gets us. He's not remote. He understands our humanity. He understands our weakness. He even understands it when you get a little bit chipped up. Because he got a bit frustrated with people, didn't he? You can be angry at people and uh, like you went into the temple. You get the impression sometimes when you're reading the Gospels, the things that Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's getting a little bit weary of their lack of understanding. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, at one point he says, how much longer have I got to put up with you? He actually says that. Be assured, I've never said that about any of you. I love you as your shepherd. I do. But, but if I did say it, the Lord would say, oh, oh, I understand that. Because that's what he says to the disciples. How reassuring, isn't it? It's just good. So bottom line is, when the chips are down and you feel you messed up and you think no one understands, the Lord does. And what many people do in church life is when things get a little bit tough, they do a runner from God. But actually, these things in the Bible say, don't do a runner from God and don't do a runner from church. Run at it. Run at the church run to God because he understands that's why these things are written so you know he understands it's not like you know Andy often you know does his apologetics thing he talks about other religions most gods in other religions are remote our God is not experienced our humanity so that's important I'm saying that because I want to talk about how we use the divine weapons and strategies God's given us to resist temptation now um, that it's an important qualifying statement to say that temptation is actually tempting. Like it, it, temptation exists because it's things that look nice and pleasing, but actually they're not, they destroy you. And there won't be one person sitting here this morning who has not succumbed to temptation. Not one. Unless you're like Elijah or something. Unless we got in our midst some weird Old Testament-style prophet who's just like walking in utter holiness. As If it's true, there'll be a chariot coming down from heaven now to whisk you away. I don't think it's going to happen. We've all succumbed to temptation. So sometimes we can think, you know, we, we stop accessing the next level of our faith and our walk with God because we think God's put us on the shelf. It's not how it works. There's always a way back. There's always a way through because God understands and he loves us. So it's important we understand that as I'm sitting there, now as you're sitting there and I'm talking about how do we resist, don't switch off because you think I'm, I'm currently in sin. You know, there's a way back from your sin and then there's a way forward to keep on the front foot of God's purposes. Very simple. Some of these are simple. Number one, pray as Jesus taught us. Simple, isn't it? A lot of Christians not praying enough. Um, Pray as Jesus taught us. Matthew 6.13, the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this passage, in Matthew 26.41, when the disciples kept coming to sleep, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he say? He says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Let me say this. Apart from God, you have no hope of resisting temptation, apart from God. <laughs> we are stuffed. There is no self-help book. 
No paraphrased Bible, no YouTube clip, no podcast, no magic pill. There isn't. Apart from God, we are stuffed. And humble prayer, humble prayer, humble prayer, as a child before the Lord, should be, I believe, our constant companion. As is the words, lead me not into temptation, Father. When you feel it sweeping towards you, lead me not into temptation. In fact, pray before you feel it sweeping towards you. Also, pray with others. I pray regularly in a WhatsApp group with a couple of other national leaders. One of them you'll know, Mark Greenwood. He's a prayer power of mine. And Warren Evans, who heads up sports chaplaincy around the world. We are in a little WhatsApp accountability prayer group. And we ask each other for protection prayer from specific seasonal sins and temptations. Seasonal temptations are this. In the moment, in the circumstance. And it'll all be different things. Um, you know, in, in times when I feel like I'm going to become cynical for whatever reason. The enemy's weapon against me would be cynicism and bitterness. I refuse that in my life. I refuse it. Because if I become cynical, and you know what I mean by that, it's like you look at everything through slightly judgmental eyes and slightly pessimistic and not quite believing, then I think if I go that way, the enemy's got my ministry. It's captured my heart. So I will sling a thing out to say, boys, pray in this season. I'm not tempted to be bitter and I'm not... I'm not tempted to be critical and cynical because I want my life to be characterised by optimistic hope. I am a rampant optimist by nature. I believe everything's going to be all right. I'm, I'm a terror for treasurers. <laughs> you know, he's nodding already because I believe everything's going to be all right. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a terror against disease and sickness. I believe everything's going to be all right. When I walked into Ross's room, first time, he'd been in this induced coma, I'm like, in, I'm like praying in every conceivable way in my heart against death, hell, disease. And in my heart of hearts, I'm believing he's going to walk out. Cannot tell you the joy in my heart watching Ross walk in this morning. But what the enemy would tempt me to do is think, oh, it's all lost. Double, double legionese. Oh, oh, it's going to be a long haul recovery. Oh. Right, so in seasons, I get my mates to pray with me. So... I got some mates to pray that I'd have faith for healing and restoration, my accountability prayers. Pray for protection, specific sins and temptations. And if you're in a season where you're vulnerable, blokes, travelling on your own to hotel rooms, get your mates to pray for you. You don't fall into sexual temptation. Or if your thing's drinking too much, pray you don't fall into drinking too much, drinking on your own. If you're being a bit bitter or gossip. I hate gossip. It kills churches. Pray, you don't do it. I don't fall into temptation. Prayer. Number two, know your enemy. There was a book called The Art of War, which I actually have got a copy. And he says in there, know your enemy. Knowing the enemy and your enemy is a crucial aspect to winning any battle. So let me just say this. You need to understand that your old nature can linger within you. 
if you've not dealt with it, if you want to check that out, look at Ephesians 4.22, Romans 7.21-23. You've got to be on your guard. You're all going to be susceptible to different things. Some will be sexual temptations. Some will be like different addictions. Some people will be attitudes of the heart. Judgment, a little bit pharisaical, a bit religious. It could be all sorts of different things. There could be the old nature that makes you vulnerable. I have them. I'm going to tell you what mine are. I am vulnerable to certain things. The enemy knows these chinks in my armour. And I've got to know my enemy, and I know when he's, I know when he's trying to drive a nail in that chink to crack my armour open. And mine is when my motives are questioned. How obscure is that? The one thing that makes you want to quit, do a run and run to the hills, is when my integrity and my motives are questioned. That makes me like, or I'm accused of being deceitful. It makes me want to run away. It may, in my head, I'm like, stuff you, in a Scottish accent. <laughs> it is. I go, I go, my inner Scott comes out. It does. And what the enemy's trying to do when that happens, he wants me to quit the race. He doesn't want to hurt me. He wants to knock me out of the game. So I have to fight hard. He's it's, it's dogged my ministry of 25 years. Yes. I'm like, I see it coming. I'm like, oh, not again. It's one, it's one thing I can be stomping around the house. <laughs> like angrily putting a kettle on. I'm like, oh, I'm getting all like, I want to quit. And what the enemy wants to do, he wants to find a way to knock you out of the game. And it could be various different things that he does to you. It'd be different things for you. As I'm saying this, it'd be different chinks in your armour. Could be the way you see yourself. Could be you don't see yourself as God sees you and all kinds of things. I don't know. It's your journey. Um, weirdly, uh, for me, my defence, um, my... My defence was to just simply try and see myself as God sees me. Romans 8.15 is such an important verse to me. By the Holy Spirit we cry, Abba Father, and know that we're sons of God. We're God's kid. You know, God whispered that into my soul years ago. And also, you know, I love, and it's not a godly poem, but Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called If. If you can keep your head and all men doubt you, and make allowance for their doubting too. I had that pinned up on my wall, I'm like, yeah, I need, I need a dose of that sometimes, you know, because that's my quit button. But I can't, I can't make myself feel good, but I can, I can see myself how God sees me. And the only way I can do that is keep my walk right. So if I've got my integrity right, then I can look up to heaven, even if you stand alone. But you've got to find your thing. You've got to know what your enemy, how your enemy opposes you. And get yourself strong in the areas that you need to be. Ephesians 4.27 simply says, don't give the devil an opportunity. So, if you've got a weakness, a pressure point, you've got to shore it up. Now, years ago, I used to like rubbish kung fu films. I love a bit of kung fu. Once I had a very bad accident when I was 15. I ripped my face off, basically. I had plastic surgery on my lips, can you tell? So, yeah. Can't feel me top lip, which is why I sometimes get a little lisp. It's a true fact. Anyway, um, uh, so I used to watch these kung fu films where you could be in the middle of this punch up and someone would have a pressure point, it'd be like around the back of your knee, and the, and the person would like die because they press this pressure point. How ridiculous! You'd be in a punch up and get to the back of someone's knee with your index finger <laughs> and kill them. 
It's ridiculous. No such thing exists, I don't think. Someone will say, yes, there is. There's 15 pressure points on your neck alone. Rubbish. You don't see people dropping down on the floor all the time, do you, for pressure points? But the enemy can find one. The devil can find one. Because he don't fight in a straight fight. He does guerrilla warfare. And he sneaks up on you. When you don't, we think he's not around. You think, oh, there's no devil around here. And he sneaks up on you and he presses the back of your leg <laughs> and knocks you over. It's guerrilla warfare. He's a dirty fighter. And the only way you can fight a dirty fighter is not to be dirty back. You just get the shields of faith up, put the armor on, get those chinks sorted out, work out what your pressure points are and shore them up. Number three, learn to recognize the signs. James 1, 14 to 16, each person is tempted and is lured and enticed by his own desire and that gives birth to sin and that leads to death. So you've got to recognise what your, what your temptations and desires are that would lead you into sin and then death. Your sin, if you don't deal with it, not S-Y-N sins like Weight Watchers, I'm not talking about creamy donuts. I'm not. Well, that might be someone's sin that's going to kill you. But um, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's things that are presented to us as pleasant and true, but actually aren't. They're going to kill you. And they lead to death. So you've got to work out what they are to you. I describe it as this, uh, particularly when I'm preaching to men. I call it, be aware of your balcony. The reason I say that, in 2 Samuel 11, David spots Bathsheba having a little bath below his balcony. And I get the impression, he didn't like, he says in 2 Samuel 11, in the time that kings go to war, and um, he's, he's up on the balcony, and he should have been fighting, and he's looking at Bathsheba. And you get the impression from the reading that he just looked at her once. He looked at Bathsheba having a bath below his balcony, and thought, oh, I want her, I have her. I think, actually, I think he opened gateways to sin, David all over the shop. And he maybe had a little little sneaky balcony little walk on a regular basis. Oh, oh, I think it's time for me elevenses. Oh, oh, I think I have it on the balcony. Oh, oh look, there's that lady bathing again. It feeds the design, it feeds the design, it feeds the design, feeds the design. Eventually, death comes. So draw your line. Spot what your balcony is and have your, have your line drawn. And your line shouldn't be the doorway to the balcony. should be the basement. Get us, draw your line way back. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't allow yourself to go near things that will tempt, tempt you and make you feel like it's pleasant and true. It's not. It's going to kill you. Draw the line way back. It will kill you, I'm telling you. Learn to spot your issues a mile off. Number four, do a runner. Very simple. Genesis 39.6. So I haven't got time to read it. Joseph... You know, he of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame, um, he, he was a handsome man, we are told, and a woman who was married fancied him. And you get the fact that she was probably quite sexually tempting and alluring. And what the Bible says is that Joseph, when she was coming on to him, didn't just say, oh, you know, oh, it's a bit fun, isn't it? She keeps, keeps flirting with me. He did that. He actually ran away. He did a runner. Well, that's what you've got to do. If sin is knocking on your door, run away. No courage in trying to front it out. Do a runner. Or, in like, anyone here watched Monty Python films back in the day? 
run away, run away. That's what he says, run away. Someone's looking at me now going, sinful Monty Python films. But run away. Whenever they, whenever they were like being, like about to be killed, these knights, they wouldn't stand and fight. They'd do a runner. Great strategy for survival. Run away. People say to me, what's, what's the best martial art, Carl? Run away! That's what I think. Simple as that. Number five, use your sword. Use your sword. Read it. Learn it. And Jesus is in the desert fighting the devil. Do you know what he said to the devil when he said, oh, you can do this? You can do that. He said, listen, devil, it is written. Devil, it's written. Put that in your pipe and smoke it in the Essex version. <laughs> it is. And the devil is fronting him out. When that happens to you, learn the word. Because then you can say, devil, it is written. Draw strength and comfort from that. If you know that certain situations bring you to temptation, a bar going online by yourself, watching certain movies, being around certain people, and the devil starts to tempt you, well, first thing is don't go into those situations. Do a run from them. The second thing is you say, it is written. We have been given tools and weapons, divine strategies. No good if your sword is kept in its scabbard, is it? Last night, someone drew a sword on me. I said at the Eurovision party, where I went as my alter ego, Carlos Fandango, um, did actually. Um, I bring Carlos out once a year. So I said to Andrea, I'm very disappointed. I'll see you next time. Did you have not come as a Viking? She from Sweden. And she actually whisked out a sword and pointed it in my face. That's what we've got to do with this. Get your sword out of the scabbard. Get it off the bookshelf. Get it open. I'm trying to leave Bibles lying around the place now. So just, just helpful. Get it in your head. You can't quote the Bible at the devil and say it's written unless you're reading it. Number six, and then I'm pretty much done. Rest. The Sabbath principle. I'm saying this as much to myself. is so important. I've learned that I am more susceptible to temptation when I'm exhausted, when I am tired and I'm not rested, my judgment goes off. I say things to people that aren't kind if I'm tired. I mean, I don't do that, but that's when in my head. So I feel like I'm saying. You, you'll be more susceptible to alcohol, watching things you shouldn't watch, being snappy and ratty. True fact. When you're tired, your resistance is down. To so be kind to yourself and take a rest. There is something else I'd say though. The reverse applies if you're resting too much. If you're being a little lazy person, not keeping yourself busy, your mind will play tricks on you in the reverse. You'll overthink things and start getting bitter and weird and overanalyzing conversations. Sometimes people say things to me, I think, how do you even have time to think those thoughts? You know, you're, you're thinking things that you shouldn't even be thinking. Where do you get the time for that? Because you're not doing enough. So there's a balance in here, isn't it? But rest is so important. And I will say this is finally, there is always an exit door to the temptation. There is always a way 
of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you. It is not common to man. God is faithful. will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He also gives us himself without limit to call upon his strength for resistance and endurance. How powerful is the word of God. God has said as well, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Do you know what? The exit door might even be, you just say to God, please intercept this moment. I can remember this beautiful moment when I was single and I was feeling tempted to look at pornography as a young man. And I said to God, please, please give me an exit door. And the phone went, it was me, mum. That killed all sexual desire. But, <laughs> praise the Lord. But, um, but, but I had to pick up the phone. I had to choose to take the exit door. I literally prayed, God, spare me this moment. Ring, ring. Hello? It's your mother. Oh, done. Dealt with. Sin gone. What well, a temptation gone. Temptation's not a sin. So you handle it. So pick up the phone. There's always a way out. 